The next time we observe the Lord's Supper, we will do so on the Thursday before Easter. All right? That's the upper room service. I hope that you'll be part of the upper room service this year. Uh, we do ask that you pay for the food that we're going to be serving. It'll be $20 maximum per family for that and for child care on that night. It's the night when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and instituted the Lord's Supper. It is a very thoughtful service, and I hope that you'll be part of it. It happens on March 29th. Put it down in your calendar, whip out that phone and put it on your uh, calendar there, and make sure you're part of that. Easter is April 1st, so we want that to be a great celebration. We want your family to be here, your friends to be here. You invite your neighbors. Lots of people don't know where they're going to do Easter, but they plan to do Easter because everybody does, and so we want them to come here. All right, so make it an opportunity to invite your friends. So these awkward family photos, so interesting, snapshots of Jesus. And now we come to this one in John chapter 2 where he cleanses the temple, Jesus overturning tables. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. It'll be on the screen. I'm in the New International Version starting with verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at benches, sitting at tables, exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. He knew what was in each person. He didn't need any information about people. He knew them. Some of them said, we believe in you, but Jesus didn't believe in them. That's the word uh, in the passive. He didn't entrust himself to them. 
So you have this interesting story, this amazing picture of Jesus as he cleanses the temple. Are you worried about being clean? You ever worry about cleanliness? You ever say cleanliness is next to godliness? We're trying to teach the uh, grandsons how to be clean. Doesn't come natural to a little boy. He goes to school in the morning and he looks like a color chart. Yellow from the egg, green from the avocado, red from the ketchup from breakfast. And you think, surely he's going to be more concerned about being clean. But no. He eats like this. He's ready to go. He wants to go kick the soccer ball. And so he can't hardly bear sitting there eating so slow. Keep your mouth over the plate. It's hard to do when you're ready to go. My family teaches clean. I mean, Janet is a premier homemaker, housekeeper. She taught her daughters how to clean. So Janet is always cleaning. She's cleaning the floor. She's cleaning the clothes. She's cleaning the bedding. She's cleaning the car. Rebecca's always cleaning. She keeps things clean too. She cleans the houses of other people. I'm even cleaning my teeth a lot better since that last story I told you. <laughs> now that I know that toothbrush actually can help out, I'm not working so hard and doing a better job. It's exciting. My smiles never look better. So this matter of cleaning comes up in both of these awkward family photos. In Cana, you have these six pots, these six stone jars, big old jars, that are for ceremonial cleaning, ritual purity. 150 gallons of water to help this family maintain their purity. And Jesus makes the new wine out of this water, out of these jars that are used for that ritual purification. He is the one who purifies. He is the new wine. And here we are in the temple. And once again we have this cleansing theme. Jesus cleanses the temple, we say. And he drives the barn and the bank out of that temple precinct. He wants it to be clean. The zeal for the house of the Lord is eating him up, the prophet said. Emotions are running high in the temple today. As we read this, Jesus is angry. He makes a whip. Unlike anything he's done anywhere else in the Gospels, he makes this whip and he gets after these folks who are in the temple and he drives out. They've got cattle and sheep in the temple and he drives them out, John says, and he sees these tables where they're exchanging that old impure Roman coin with Caesar's image for the half shekel which is used to pay the temple tax. And he grabs that and he just overturns their tables and coins go skipping away on those stones. John 
records part of this. Mark and Luke and Matthew also record this event. He says to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, but you have made it a robber's den. Jeremiah, he's quoting Jeremiah. You want to hear what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said to the people of God who are coming to worship at the temple, will you steal and murder Commit adultery and perjury, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord." Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. He's implying they are destroying the temple by their actions as they sell these animals and do their banking right there in the place of worship. The house of worship in Shiloh was destroyed. Solomon's temple was taken down stone by stone. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. The prophets have said that the temple will be destroyed. Jesus clearly says, do you see this magnificent building? There will not be one stone left upon another that shall not be torn down. The prophecy of Jesus that Herod's temple, which was a magnificent structure, would be torn down, happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans literally destroyed not only the temple but Jerusalem. Zeal for your house has eaten me up, Jesus said. He says to them, Destroy this temple, and he implies that's what they are doing. There is the temple they can see, Herod's temple, which is huge. One of the great wonders of his building campaign. Maybe the climactic work that Herod did in his architecture and construction was the temple in Jerusalem. Colonnaded porches that ran hundreds of feet all around the central temple which was in the middle where the holy of holies was and the holy place was and the table of incense and the showbread the lampstand that was in the middle but all around were these great porches and the porches were the court of the women the court of the men the court of the Gentiles Gentiles would come to worship in the city of Jerusalem at this time. They would come from all over the world. They were God-fearers. They were not Jews. Perhaps they had not converted to the faith of Abraham, but they were interested and they were God-fearers and they came to the temple to worship and they could go no further than the court of the Gentiles. 
and it is in the court of the Gentiles where the merchants set up their wares, where they brought in the cattle and the sheep and the doves, and foreigners would come from thousands of miles to Jerusalem for the Passover feast because they thought this place would be a house of prayer for all nations. But the immigrant and the stranger was disregarded by those who ran the temple. They figured the temple was just for them. It didn't really matter what happened in the court of the Gentiles. And so a Gentile God-fearer would come from the far reaches of the empire, come to Jerusalem during the holiest days of the Passover, come into the holiest spot of the Hebrew faith to pray, bow his head, and there he would experience nothing but the noise of the coins and the tables and the cows and the sheep and the chaos of that scene that had been given over to the market instead of to prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus was calling his people back to the central concern, which is your relationship with God expressed through prayer. And that's what the temple was supposed to be about. Jesus said, destroy this temple. That is, your activities in the outer court, in the court of the Gentiles, are threatening the inner sanctuary. When Jesus used the word temple, destroy this temple, he used the word that was peculiarly reserved for the holy place and the holy of holies. And he was saying to them, by your activities in the outer court, you are destroying the inner sanctuary. You think that what goes on in the court of the Gentiles, so far from the Holy of Holies, you think it doesn't matter, but it does. What happens in the outer court of this temple is destroying what is in the very center in the Holy of Holies. Now, we fall into the same trap. Knowing that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And we are not our own. We're bought with a price. And we suppose that the peripheral activities of our life are not pertinent to what we do at church. And somebody might say, well, you don't act like a Christian when you're at work and you don't talk like a Christian when you're at school how can you say you're a Christian and behave this way and we are tempted to say oh oh listen I know out here in this part of my life I'm a mess but look that doesn't matter I really believe in God here in the inner sanctuary of my heart and that's what matters and Jesus is saying to the priests and the Sadducees, and to us, his people. It matters what you do in the periphery of your life. The outer court of your life is important to God. And there is collateral damage that happens 
when the strangers and the foreigners and those seeking God come to your life and they see on the outside of your life, in the periphery of your life, unholiness that you tolerate without repentance, somehow dividing your life up between that which belongs to God and that which belongs to me. My preferred activities and things I do, and here is my relationship with God here in the middle. And how I act out here doesn't, doesn't affect this. You know, basically, you're a Gnostic if you do that, which is an old heretic. See, your whole entire life belongs to God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. Jesus spoke of the temple of his body. We understand that. Jesus comes to the temple this day, this magnificent structure that represents the very heart of Hebrew worship and faith. He says, one greater than the temple is here. Many people think he might have gestured to himself as he says, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it back. In other words, just like Jesus was the new wine in abundance that pours out the Spirit of God upon all the earth. So Jesus is the new temple. He is the summation of all that God intends to do in the earth. He is the temple of the living God. God abides in him. It is our understanding the scripture teaches that God became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus of Nazareth is now the embodiment of God's presence on the planet. Not these stones, not this structure, not this abused court and all of this. It is Jesus himself who is the center. So when he teaches, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They don't get it then, but they get it later. When he's hung on the cross and crucified. And three days later, he's raised from the dead. Now they understand. And they believed the scriptures and believed in him. He records that here. Which is the purpose of John's teaching. That they might believe in Jesus. The Bible teaches that the, the church is the temple of the living God. You are being built up, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, into a holy temple the Lord's own where his spirit abides in his church and so the word temple is used in the scripture in the new covenant to talk about Jesus body to talk about the body of believers and to talk about each individual Christian whose body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within them. And the call is, keep this clean. Who has authority to clean up the temple? What gives you the right to clean up this temple? They asked Jesus. 
We ask him that too. You know that, right? When we hear the clear teaching of Scripture and we see the clear command of Jesus and we refuse, we're saying, Jesus, you have no right to clean me up. You can't clean me up, Jesus. These are my courts. This is my life. I'll live it my way. Say, that's one way to live your life. You can live your life your way. I did it my way. Hey, good for you. Good for you. Hey, I spoke to the secular humanists. Some of you remember when they invited me to come and speak. I was happy to go talk to them. They wanted, to, wanted me to talk to them. I told them I'd surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I made my moral decisions based on what Jesus would want me to do. Not my will, thine be done. And one of the fellows in the front row said, oh, I would never do that. I would never surrender my volition and will to another human being. I get that, you know. You want to be your own captain? All right, good. Be your own captain. Do it your way. That's not what we're talking about here in this church. Okay? Here, Jesus is... Lord, amen? That's what it means to follow Jesus. You lay down your life. You surrender yourself. You deny yourself, and you give it all to Jesus. And when it comes to left or right, you say, Lord, which way would you have me go? And when you understand he wants you to go right, that's where you go because he is Lord, not just in some theoretical sense in the universe, but Lord of my life, Lord of my step, Lord of my decisions, Lord of my tongue. Lord of my relationships, he is Lord. Jesus says at one point, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? <laughs> What's up with that? What's up with that? Don't be a practical atheist who's milking the religion like these folks in the outer court, getting whatever they can out of it, you know, as long as it produces for you, you're going to stay, stay engaged. When it stops producing, man, you're out the door. You know, if you can get more money, if the cows get sold, if the sheep get picked up by the pilgrims, all right, I'll, I'll become a Christian. I'll keep doing this. But the minute it stops delivering, man, I'm going on somewhere else. You think that's Christianity? You think that's what Jesus taught these disciples? You think that's what Peter laid down his life for and Paul laid down his life for and, and John was exiled? Yeah, you think that's what they were doing? No, my friend. They were not saying, as long as I prosper, I feel good and I'm comfortable, I'm going to follow Jesus. But if it gets tough, man, I'm going my own way. That's what the world says, okay? That's the other way of doing your life. What Jesus is saying in the temple that day is, I have authority to clean this place. That authority is mine. And I will do it. And he's saying to the Christian, I have authority to clean your life. 
And it matters how clean you are. It matters your holiness. God is at work making you holy. He intends for you be, to be more like him tomorrow than you are today. He is winnowing these things out of your life. And part of his purpose is so that he will clean you up in such a way that people who look at you will not be confused about the gospel. They will understand. You think these activities in the outer court of your life are yours. It's just affecting you. It's not affecting anybody else. I know it's a mess out here, but you ought to come see the inner court. Jesus, man, we keep it so clean in the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. It's just spotless in there. You ought to come see that. And you think it doesn't matter out here what happens in the outer court, but your children are watching, aren't they? Yeah. Your friends are watching, aren't they? And when you mess up in the outer court, there's some pilgrim who came along who wanted to know the one true God. And the collateral damage of your disobedience is that he left without knowing. He can't see it in you. I remember growing up how everybody smoked. They did. Everybody smoked. All the deacons smoked. I had a deacon at my, my last church that said, oh yeah, when I was a young man, we, uh, we used to meet out under a tree so we could smoke and we'd take attendance by counting the cigarette butts and dividing by three. <laughs> you say, no, that never happened. Oh yeah, I remember a deacon stood outside the church when I was a boy. And he smoked through a hole right here. Yeah. Yeah, he'd had lung, he had throat cancer. He smoked through a hole right here. He'd puff on that cigarette outside the church. And I remember when the science became clear that smoking was bad for you. And people my age remember that. You know, we remember when it came out. It's a carcinogenic. It creates lung. And pretty soon everybody, I had, I had doctors tell me, yeah, the more information you get about lung disease the more you want to put that cigarette down, okay? You remember this. We've been on a journey about smoking tobacco in the country, all right? It's bad for you. It'll kill you. It'll give you heart disease. It'll give you cancer. Most people won't challenge that. You may say, well, I have a grandmother that smoked till she was 89. I know. Some of them do. Through God's mercy, last that long even though they smoked. That's up to God, you know? And then we learned about secondhand smoke. Now, that's been a relatively new thing. Wait a minute. You, may, you mean the baby that's breathing the smoke that's coming down from the cigarette, that that could harm the baby? They're saying now that's the science. You could suffer from secondhand smoke. There's collateral damage to what you thought was just about you. And all that stuff you think that's just about you, it's about other people too. Jesus says, I want the temple of your life to be a house of prayer for everybody. For everybody. So that everybody who sees you sees more of the Savior and is drawn to the Christ of Calvary 
and your life when they see you at the supermarket and in the ball field and out swimming in the golf, that your life in recreation, education, business, your life exemplifies the Savior. You never try to get away from that or compromise that. You just let him be Lord of every square inch. Who cleaned you up? Not the preacher. The Holy Spirit does the cleaning. He's the one who's busy cleansing us, sanctifying us, make us, making us like Christ, changing us. It's his job. Bow with me, please. This time of response may be very personal to you. And God is, is convicting you about things that only you know. So would you listen to the Holy Spirit? Let Jesus be Lord in this moment. Don't push him away. Don't reject his voice. Just hear him. Hear him as the one who knows and understands and loves you the most. Hear him as the one who cares about you and your future and the people in your life. Lord, we're your church. A holy temple, you said. It's what we want to be. Lord, we're your people. Temples individually. Owned by you, bought with the precious blood of Christ. We want to bring you glory. Show us how. Show us what needs cleansing. Draw us to yourself. Not our will. Your will. Be done. Amen.